You're listening to the Lawn Care Business Success Podcast, brought to you by Xmark Manufacturing. 30 years of pioneering spirit and innovation have resulted in legendary durability, all-day comfort, and unmatched cut quality. Go check them out at xmark.com. You're listening to the Lawn Care Business Success Podcast, the weekly show sharing proven methods and systems in marketing, equipment, and customer service, educational and motivational to help make your lawn care business an overwhelming success. Now, here's your host, Julio Tomei. Welcome, Lawn Care Nation, to another episode of the Lawn Care Business Success Podcast. I'm your host, Julio Tomei, and this is episode number 383, entitled Season and Analysis. Well, hello, everybody, and thanks again for joining me this week on another episode of the Lawn Care Business Success Podcast. Really appreciate you guys tuning in, and of course, for the questions, comments, and feedback that you guys have been sending through. I say that uh, each and every week, but I really uh, do mean that. Uh, and uh, keep them coming. Keep those uh, questions coming as you've uh, probably noticed the last a few episodes we've had uh, based on uh, some of your questions. And uh, I really like uh, being able to do that for you guys uh, to be able to, uh, uh, you know, share that pain point that somebody might have in a question and to be able to answer them more thoroughly and uh, do it as a podcast episode. Uh, and, uh, you know, share, uh, you know, any sort of uh, stories or things uh, that uh, have happened to me in my lawn care business uh, that may relate to those uh, questions as well. Uh, this week, uh, we are coming to the end of the lawn care season for my business, at least in 2022. I pretty much finished up all of uh, my last uh, mowings for the year uh, last week. Uh, we've had uh, some frost uh, a bit more again this morning uh, and, uh, you know, having to thaw out windows in the mornings and things like that. Um, really the only reason I'll be taking out, uh, any mowers now again will be uh, just because the leaves, uh, just seem to be dragging on this year. Everything's messed up weather wise. Um, so we'll see, uh, how that continues. Uh, can't believe it's mid November. And, uh, even in my own backyard, uh, like my, I've got a Japanese maple and stuff that is still full of leaves. Like it hasn't dropped the leaves yet. Uh, despite uh, having a bit of a windstorm and some uh, really heavy rain a few weeks back, uh, the leaves are still hanging on. So it's uh, very strange for this time of year, uh, for that to be, uh, the case. So uh, I will be taking the mowers out still uh, a few more times, but it'll just be strictly for doing uh, any leaf cleanups. Uh, so just a handful of properties that I'll be doing now and uh, getting those leaf cleanups done. Uh, and then I got a couple of uh, hedge jobs and stuff uh, that I'm going to clean up uh, and do for customers before uh, they put their Christmas lights up. Uh, so I'll be tackling that. So I'll be pretty soon um, you know, completely uh, done as far as uh, my business goes uh, for uh, any sort of landscaping and stuff like that. I usually shut down. I don't do uh, winter services and things like that uh, anymore. I've thought about it, but um, yeah, as of right now, I'm still not uh, doing that. Um, so yeah, uh, and end of the season is, uh, coming, uh, pretty near here, uh, mid November. So my, my initial pr- uh, predictions, I was thinking uh, probably the third week of November seem to be at least right now on point for at least the hedges and, you know, at least one more round of leaf cleanups and stuff. And then we'll see, um, with, uh, you know, 
uh, the added frost each morning more consistently uh, if that uh, will make a, you know, a large leaf drop again, sort of uh, finish off uh, everything. So uh, yeah, uh, we'll see how that uh, part of it goes. I uh, wanted to share just a quick, uh, interesting uh, story. Um, wife was driving um, our little electric car on the weekend, and uh, she got a rock uh, that hit uh, the windshield and uh, created a stone chip in, in the window. And it was interesting because the rock, I guess it was sort of like a jagged rock, so it, it basically created two stone chips overlapping um, themselves uh, in the same spot. And uh, so I went to go see, because they do like, um, you know, before you replace a windshield and stuff like that, uh, they will try to repair it. And as long as it's not in the driver's uh, sort of line of sight, um, they can usually uh, repair them pretty good. Like they will virtually disappear um, using some sort of, uh, I don't know if it's an epoxy or some sort of a liquid, um, clear liquid that they can uh, almost like vacuum uh, pressure rise into uh, the little crack and stuff. And it, uh, I've had ones in the past where um, it'd be very hard to even tell uh, if, uh, you know, without you knowing that the uh, windshield got hit by a rock like you would have to really look for it to see uh, where it was uh, so usually uh, they do a pretty good job so I thought okay well let me go and um, especially with the cold weather and the frost in the mornings um, that you know potentially this is the time uh, where the windshield's going to crack if it uh, uh, is held uh, or left too long and, and ironically the the little stone chip is like right in line uh, with like the windshield defrost vents. Uh, so they'd be putting out sort of like direct heat right on that stone chip. So, you know, if it's going to crack, it's going to happen now uh, in the next few weeks, uh, you know, as the temperature um, it drops and the windshield is frozen in the morning and then you're, you know, trying to thaw it out and all that sort of stuff. So I thought, let me take it to a glass shop and see uh, one that does like the stone chip repairs and all that sort of stuff and uh, see what uh, they say. So I took it to a glass shop and... Um, he seemed very uninterested uh, and uh, basically said, no, it can't be fixed. And, uh, you know, it's probably, you know, you'll always notice it and all that sort of stuff. And I basically um, was saying, okay, well, the alternative then is to um, just wait for it to crack. Uh, and then, uh, which will probably be within, you know, a couple weeks or so. And then, um, you know, replace the windshield. Um, so I was basically saying, well, isn't it worth a shot, a try um, to uh, fix the windshield. Like I'm giving you permission. I understand that it's not going to be, uh, crystal clear and perfect. Like maybe, you know, you're normally used to being able to do it. Um, that the situation is different, that there's these two overlapping chips at the exact spot. Um, and that, uh, you know, you probably won't see it, but I was like, isn't it just worth a shot? Like, um, you know, I'm giving you permission, like I'll get that repaired. And if it, cracks or it uh, doesn't work out, well, then we replace the windshield. You know, it's not a big deal, but I'm willing to take a, take the chance, right? And he was basically saying, well, it's just a waste of materials and stuff, uh, you know, if you do that. And, and he's just completely uninterested uh, in doing it. So I was like, okay, that's fine, whatever. Uh, I guess, you know, just wait for the glass to crack. Um, so then I thought, well, let me try a different glass shop to see. So I went, uh, looked up and being, you know, in the dense city and I'm actually near an area where there's, um, a lot of like sort of, um, 
industrial um, type, not like super heavy industrial, but you know, just lots of like near the mall and stuff like that. And lots of little strip areas and uh, back, you know, shops and body shops and things like that and car repair places and stuff in sort of a central area. So there's literally like seven uh, auto glass shops uh, in this like little central area. So I thought, let me just, you know, go to one of these and, and see, you know, get a second opinion. So I went to that one and they looked at it and said, yeah, that can be repaired. Um, the only problem is that we're booking um, like two weeks in advance. Um, and, you know, uh, so uh, you, you'd have to make an appointment uh, to come uh, back to do that. So I thought, okay, well, I took their their name and, you know, like their card and stuff and uh, thought in my head, okay, well, let me see if I can see um, if somebody else can do it. Because obviously, two weeks, a lot can happen in two weeks, uh, especially if the windshield is freezing and stuff like that. You know, it might just crack anyways uh, within that time. So I thought, let me go to another shop. So I decided to go to another one. And I thought, well, yeah, I got one shop that said no and one shop that said yes. So, you know, what's the tiebreaker going to be? So I went to a third one and they said, no, it can't be. Um fixed. So I thought, well, isn't that odd, right? They're like, they're saying this one's saying not, and the other ones are saying yes. And um, so then they were, you know, just, you know, we can help you with a, new, with a new windshield and all that sort of stuff. And I thought, okay, that's that's cool. Let me um, talk about it with my wife sort of thing, I said. Um, in my head knowing, okay, well, there's some more glass shops. So now it was turning into like a game for me to see like, who's, who's going to say yes and who's going to say no. I literally went to all of the glass shops. So in total, it was like seven uh, glass shops uh, that I went to. All of them independently examined the windshield, you know, rubbed their finger on the little, um, you know, uh, rock chip and stuff to give me their opinion on it. And at the end, uh, three of the shops said that they could repair it, that it was no problem. Um, and four of the shops said that it couldn't be repaired. Now, this isn't obviously a debate on whether it should be repaired, not repaired. You know, what the thing is, what I found interesting about this was, is that of the three glass shops that said they could repair it, all of them required an appointment and were super busy. One of them uh, was uh, booking two weeks uh, in advance. Uh, one of them was booking one week in advance, and the other one, the smaller of uh, the the shops, the two were really well-known large shops, and then the third one that said yes was just a really small shop. I had actually never heard of them, just saw them on Google Maps and just went to go and check them out. Uh, they could do it uh, within a day or two. Um, so very, very interesting that uh, with those shops that said that they could do it, they were all super busy. Um, really, really busy. Ironically, the shops that said they couldn't do it were all shops that when I drove up initially, you know, I could see into the bays. Uh, you know, a lot of them have like the glass bay doors or they have windows on the bay doors. And they were shops that had no cars in them. And at first, when I'm pulling into the parking lot, I was like, oh, great. Like, you know, maybe they can do it right now uh, sort of thing, right? Just pull in, right? And, but they were all shops that said, no, you can't do it. No, just making excuses for stuff. And that trend, it's funny how that trend kind of continued that every shop that said no was all shops that were empty. And every shop that said yes was all shops that were full uh, and understood that not only was... Uh, 
you know, the window a possibility to fix, but I was giving them permission. Like I completely was saying, like, I understand it's not going to be perfect. I understand it's, um, you know, with that too, that it's challenging and all that sort of stuff, but Hey, and that it might not last. And these are like what I'm reciting to them, right? I'm like saying like, yeah, I get it. Like it's, um, but it's worth a shot, right? If I'm going to drive it anyways, um, you know, if you're saying it's not fixable, then, um, I'm not going to get the re- the windshield repaired right now because it's just a stone chip and it's not in my, uh, you know, field of vision, right? So I'll just wait until it cracks. And when it cracks, you know, big enough that it's uh, uh, bothering me, then I will uh, repair the, the windshield because then, of course, um, I'll have to repair or, you know, uh, pay a larger deductible to do that. So it's like, I'll just hold off on that uh, to do it that way, right? Uh, but I'm giving you permission that, hey, uh, you know, the stone chip repairs like 30 bucks or 40 bucks or whatever it is. It's like, I give you permission that you can try it, right? It's worth the chance. And I won't hold it against you if it doesn't work. If it cracks, if, you know, after a week or something like that, then it is what it is. And, you know, we have to do the windshield eventually. So it's interesting that the three shops that were busy were shops that recognized the opportunity to earn that income. Even though maybe it's not what they fully want, maybe you know what they want is to do a full, um, you know, windshield repair. They probably get you know paid a lot more from insurance and all that stuff to replace the windshield versus just doing a stone chip repair. But they understood the the opportunity there to basically double their income because the chances are that even if they know that it's not going to work, um, that it's not going to hold and because it's, you know, two little stone chips beside each other uh, and giving us sort of all the things that the other uh, shops were saying, they understood that I'm giving them permission to try it. And not only will they be getting paid for that, but that if it doesn't uh, work out and it, you know, it fails and the windshield ultimately needs to be replaced, that most likely I'm coming back to them to get it done because I've established that relationship. So now they've, uh, you know, essentially um, are creating that relationship with me. They're making me happy by trying because, you know, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. And so, you know, all I want is the chance, right? Just give the give an entrepreneur a chance. That's all they ever want. It doesn't matter about the million reasons why it's not going to work. An entrepreneur just needs the one reason why it will work uh, to place that bet. So, you know, they're speaking to me without, you know, I'm not telling them that I'm, I'm entrepreneurial and that's how my brain works. But, you know, they're speaking to me, speaking my language when they talk about, yeah, let's try it. It's worth a shot. Why not? Right? The worst that can happen is that it you know, it fails and it starts to crack, but that's going to happen anyways, regardless of whether we try to prevent it or not. So it's interesting, like I said, that those shops that recognize that and were willing to take the shot were the shops that were fully booked and required appointments. And the four shops that were uninterested and were just about making excuses about why it won't work and weren't willing to take um, that chance to see if it would work, even though I was giving them permission that I wouldn't hold it against them and would, you know, just whatever. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But at least, you know, we'll try it. Uh, or the shops that were empty, like literally no cars inside the shop. 
with, uh, you know, like a receptionist at the front desk and, um, some, in some cases, like, uh, a service advisor. And, you know, then the guys in the shop all sitting there twiddling their thumbs. So it's like, what the heck? Like, I don't, <laughs> I didn't care. So it's just interesting. And like I said, it kind of turned into a game going to each shop to see, like, what's the next one going to say? What's the next one going to say? They're all, uh, kind of just an interesting, uh, experiment uh, to see. And, to see that sort of trend of the results of, uh, you know, the shops that were willing to do it were the busy shops and the shops that weren't willing to do it were the uh, empty shops. So, yeah, I just found that uh, completely uh, fascinating. So uh, I'm just going to take a quick break to play uh, the podcast uh, sponsorship, and then uh, we'll get uh, right into it right after this. So stay tuned. Hey, Lenny Magno with Xmark here with some food for thought when it comes to choosing the right zero-turn mowers. What do you value in a zero-turn mower? Productivity, reliability, cut quality, or a combination of each? At Xmark, we're constantly listening to our customers to ensure our Laser Z mowers deliver the right features, productivity, and uptime performance to help them grow their business. Visit xmark.com to learn about the innovations that make the Laser Z the green industry's most trusted zero-turn mower. Okay, so in this week's episode... I wanted to talk about, since uh, it's uh, timely with it being uh, the end of the lawn mowing season, that it's time to do sort of the season end analysis of, uh, you know, what um, happened in my business this year, not only in my business, but um, maybe in my personal life as well that may have affected business uh, and things like that. Just basically doing an audit on yourself uh, at the end of the season going through this season sort of month to month or um, quarter by quarter, however you want to do it. Uh, and and just, you know, this is not something that you need to um, talk to anybody about or anything like that. It's just sort of, like I said, a self-audit that you go through and, uh, you know, think about um, how those um, certain events or things affected the business? Um, is there, you know, how did you respond to those things? And is there things that you need to do or changes you need to make uh, moving forward um, for next year? Uh, and should any of those changes and things be implemented before the end of the year um, for next year? So we'll get into that uh, as we go through. So for me, if I'm looking at my uh, year uh, so far, or, or, you know, lawn care season. And like I said, I still have a few um, leaf cleanups and stuff uh, to do and uh, a couple things. But for the majority, we are done. Um, I would rank this season as the toughest season to date for me. Um, so after 17 years, this was the toughest season for a multitude of reasons. So, you know, we start out the year in January, uh, of 2022. And I came very close. Uh, one of the, the moves I was going to make this year uh, was to uh, buy a new truck. And uh, if you guys have followed my journey and, uh, you know, listened to the podcast stuff, you would have uh, heard all about this this past year. And I caught, got very, very close to buying um, a 2022 uh, GMC Sierra half-ton truck. Uh, that I was looking at in January. Uh, it was a four-cylinder, uh, their new four-cylinder trucks um, with 9,000-pound uh, towing capacity. 
And uh, after tax price tag of about sixty three or sixty four thousand dollars or something like that uh, after tax uh, for a half ton um, double cab uh, type uh, pickup truck um, triple black and you know it was a very nice truck uh, but you know with some uh, really good advice from uh, some friends. Um, you, Paul uh, Camara being one of them, uh, giving me some good advice on that, as well as uh, Cameron um, from um, uh, Missouri there, who's always, uh, you guys, a lot of you guys will know Cameron there, uh, both giving me uh, really good advice on my uh, truck and what I should do with it and my decision to um, help, uh, or for my decision for me to keep the truck instead. And, uh, you know, taking... Um, some of that money, um, you know, my conversation uh, specifically with Paul Camara was uh, talking about the price tag and stuff and uh, the amount of tax I would be paying on that new truck. And, you know, he pointed out that, you know, the amount of tax, which was equal to like $9,000 uh, on the purchase of the new truck, he said, well, that's, you know, you have to realize that that's, that's gone. So, you know, you're telling me that not you're that you're going to spend $9,000 just in the tax and that's going to disappear. And then he said something um, along the lines of, you know, imagine if you just took that $9,000 that, you know, is eventually is um, essentially just disappearing. It's vaporizing, right? It's gone. As soon as you buy that truck, that you can't get that money back. What if you were to keep your current truck and just take that money that was going to disappear in the taxes of purchasing a new truck and using that to upgrade your current truck? Would that be enough money to upgrade your current truck and all the things that you know you don't like? And I, you know, I honestly was thinking about it and I was like, yeah, that'd be more than enough money to do that. Um, so eventually, that was sort of the discussion uh, along with um, some uh, discussions with Cameron. Um, uh, about uh, from Grassmasters about um, uh, one of my fears with my truck was the injectors and inj injector replacements being a diesel being very expensive would be about eight thousand dollars to do the injectors and stuff uh, and it hadn't uh, ever been done and my truck had uh, about two hundred and ninety something thousand kilometers on it which is about one hundred and sixty thousand miles and Cameron, who owns the same type of truck, but he's got an older one, 2002, was saying that he had just done his injectors for the first time. And uh, that, yes, it was, you know, in the, the high price tag to do it. But he po also pointed out that his truck had um, 300 and something thousand miles on it. Uh, so double the mileage of mine. He was saying that that's like 500 and something thousand kilometers um, for you Canadians as a joke, because I was saying to him, uh, you know, my truck's got 298,000 kilometers. That's about 160,000, uh, miles for you Americans. So he, you know, jabbed back at me, uh, with, uh, well, my truck's got 300 and something thousand miles. That's like 500 and something for you Canadians. Uh, so it really put it into perspective that even though my truck does have high mileage that, um, you know, there was no, um, 
real reason to suspect that the injectors were bad. It wasn't smoking. It wasn't ever had any you know, issues with injectors or anything like that. And um, that, you know, essentially or potentially it could go for many more years uh, without needing uh, injectors replaced. So between the two conversations, uh, you know, I decided to keep the truck and uh, that turned out to be a very uh, good decision. I'm very relieved that I did keep the truck, uh, especially uh, with uh, how the current sort of economic climate is and how just the prices of vehicles in general was, uh, it was basically the wrong time to uh, uh, kind of uh, sit down and try to uh, buy a vehicle this year, uh, just price-wise and stuff. So, uh, you know, that uh, turned out to be a good decision. The next um, uh, sort of big happening um, was something more in my personal life that happened, and that was with the family dog of 15 years uh, passing away uh, in late, um, or sorry, mid-January was uh, when that happened. And then a week later, uh, my father passing away. Um, He uh, unfortunately uh, got COVID uh, while he was in a care home and, um, you know, uh, didn't uh, make it. So that was, uh, you know, being a, a week apart, having those two sort of big, uh, events happening um, with, uh, you know, the family or in the family uh, was difficult uh, for the whole family. I don't think I even processed the dog uh, one um, because, it, you know, by the time uh, you could sort of wrap your head around the fact that the dog um, was not around because, you know, in that first week or so, all his stuff was still around, right? His kennel was there, his bed was there, the toys were still lying around, the dog food, all the stuff, every, you know, everywhere you looked, there was signs of uh, the dog everywhere. So I didn't really process that uh, because then very quickly um, found out about my father and that kind of took over. So that was a big, uh, obviously a big hit uh, mentally for me this year. Um, and that was right before the start of the season. So, um, Luckily, though, having the season uh, there to start and all of the chaos that comes with it um, was actually good to be able to focus on work so soon after and be able to do that. So that uh, I am thankful for uh, that I got to be able to do that um, and focus. Yeah, and focus in on that. Uh, so uh, you know that was something that was obviously uh, those events were out of my control to do, as was. Um, some of the other events that led sort of to that mental uh, challenge this year was the ongoing pandemic. Um, and, you know, the, the pandemic was coming to a, a, a tail end, but just, uh, you know, the, the fact that we were so close to um, what I would consider the end of it uh, and, and almost feeling like, um, you know, we're so close to the finish line without any um, casualties uh, to use a term uh, loosely um, in terms of, you know, people that are close to me. Um, but then having my father pass away was another sort of thing. Um, but then uh, another uh, issue with the pandemic was the border closure and being Canadian, not being able to go to the United States. Uh, and I go to the United States uh, so many times, especially having uh, that property there. So that was tough to go for two years uh, without being able to check uh, on the property and having, you know, all my personal belongings there in terms of, um, you know, just things I have there. Um, 
you know, kayaks and a golf cart and all these things. And, um, you know, the golf cart had new batteries in it just before the pandemic and borders closed and stuff. So I was worried about that. There's a lot of ongoing stresses there. Uh, and, uh, you know, just having all your stuff in a forest uh, for two years and not being able to check on it. You know, you're not knowing like whether the stuff is still there, whether, you know, stuff got stolen, whether animals got into it, whether, um, you know, all that sort of stuff that you don't get to, to check on. Uh, and on top of it all, you're still paying, you know, bills and maintenance fees and all that sort of stuff uh, there, but you're not able to go there. So that was, you know, there was a lot of stuff um, mentally uh, putting a strain um, on me uh, to, uh, you know, have to deal with and, and still be able to uh, go through it all, still be able to get the mowing done and get all this stuff done and uh, do the podcasts each week and and all that sort of stuff. And you may have noticed um, that I actually had to drop off a lot of that stuff, um, like the um, a lot of the Instagram posts and stuff like that. I kind of stepped away from Instagram for a bit. And I did posts. I still did it regularly, but it was instead of every day, it was like every three days, every four days, sometimes uh, like that, uh, just during that sort of tougher time. Uh, and uh, YouTube videos, I stopped for a month or two uh, just to give myself and my brain a break uh, because there was just so much um, stuff uh, happening uh, at the beginning of the season um, that I need to uh, uh, sort of, um, you know, take a break from that. Um, and that was a great decision. Uh, it basically recharged my batteries in, in a lot of those uh, aspects, um, particularly with the YouTube section, the podcast I kept going um, every week. That was my number one priority uh, to continue that. Um, but the YouTube and stuff, I felt I could uh, take a break from that. Um, and so I did. And like I said, that, uh, decision to kind of, uh, stop, I saw a hit obviously in, uh, downloads and stuff like that, um, during that period for the podcast or not the podcast for the uh, YouTube channel. Um, but it has quickly recovered as I've gotten back into it. And like I say, having that break really recharged my batteries, um, got me to go and sort through that other stuff uh, that I needed to process uh, and get into it. Um, so that was uh, another sort of, you know, like a uh, setback that sort of, that sort of like all that stuff happening uh, mentally at the beginning of the season. But being able to sort of address those things uh, was... Um, was good to be able to uh, to move forward uh, on that. Um, the next uh, thing that uh, really uh, was coming out, and this again, part of that um, sort of mental aspect of it was the fuel prices. So we were starting the lawn care business uh, for the season. And on top of all the other stuff that was going on, um, dad's death, the dog dying, um, all that sort of stuff, border closures, was how crazy grass prices were. It was like from week to week, it just kept climbing and climbing and climbing. Uh, it was absolute insanity. Uh, and, you know, if you guys follow the show, you know that for some reason here in uh, the Vancouver, British Columbia area, uh, West Coast, Canada, we've got the highest fuel prices in all of North America. Um, so if you think you've got it bad where you are, um, 
you can trust that uh, it's much worse here in terms of fuel prices, uh, which is why, uh, again, those border closures were tough as well, because I could always, being so close to the border, uh, run across the border to get fuel. But because of uh, the border closures being closed, I couldn't do that. So, um, you know, those uh, sort of uh, held hostage with those super high prices for fuel and going into a lawn care business where you are quoting clients a price for their lawn, like everybody wants to know how much is it going to cost to mow my lawn? Well, you know, you can tell them $50, um, but, you know, based on your numbers and you want to be competitive with, uh, you know, people, um, but at the same time, when you see fuel prices, you know, going up week after week after week after week, it's like, well, what do you do? How do you uh, address that? So this year uh, was one of the, the things that I had to do was I had to raise prices for everybody across the board. It was just one of those things. I just did a big jump in prices across the board. And it was one of those things that, you know, you're always worried about uh, losing customers and stuff like that. But I had to um, trust in, you know, everything I tell you guys about, you know, uh, building those relationships and all that sort of stuff and putting that ahead of everything, Um, you know, taking the time to talk to clients, all that sort of stuff. And that, you know, when you become that more personal relationship with people, they're less likely to fire you. They're less likely to go with a cheaper person. So I had to trust in that, in that what I you know keep telling you guys every year was really uh, going to be put to the test, uh, you know, doing a, a major price increase across the board. Uh, and then on top of that, because I was like, well, I'm going to raise the prices across the board and that's going to help me now. But what happens if this continues and the prices keep going up for fuel? So not only did I raise prices across the board, I had to also implement a fuel surcharge uh, and basically tell customers like, here, your price is going up because of the cost of fuel. Uh, It's going to be, you know, this much more uh, per mowing. And if, you know, prices hit this uh, price per liter, uh, because I'm in Canada, so uh, fuel is sold by the liter, not the gallon. So I, you know, basically said, you know, if if the price of gas hits this price a liter, then it's going to be another, you know, $2 more per cut. Um, you know, once uh, gas hits that, uh, that price. Uh, so, you know, it was pretty scary to be able to, or to have to say, hey, I'm going to raise everybody's price, this large initial jump. Uh, and then, you know, on top of that, adding a possible another additional uh, surcharge on top of that, uh, further mowing throughout the year if, you know, gas prices continue to go up. And what I found was, you know, everything that I said uh, in terms of those relationships and stuff like that all held true, that that was the case. Um, There was no issue. Uh, At least I didn't hear any issue. I'm sure, you know, there was probably some clients that were upset about it that, you know, I had to raise the price and all that sort of stuff because, you know, for them, their prices are going up on everything as well, not only their lawn service, but probably there's, you know, every other type of uh, bill and food and all that sort of stuff as well. So they probably, you know, obviously uh, weren't happy about it, but they all understood it because they're they're living it, they're going through it, right? Uh, and understand that, you know, I can't continue to mow when my costs are going up and up and up for the same price, uh, you know, as the past. So I learned that that was. Um, that that was okay uh, to to do that uh, you know 
relying on those relationships of clients that I had built um, over the years um, that, you know, that really was a key factor there that, uh, you know, during these harder times for people that they weren't just going to immediately drop me for uh, trying to find somebody else uh, with the lowest price or something like somebody inexperienced that doesn't know, uh, you know, how to actually price their business and stuff like that and kind of take advantage of that. They were all, um, you know, I'm not, not going to say um, fine because it, obviously, like I said, behind closed doors, they're probably like, ah, you know, that kind of, you know, is not good, like another bill going up and stuff. But uh, I didn't get uh, let go of any of the clients because of uh, gas prices or, or anything. The only clients that I lost uh, this year were clients that moved. Um, so uh, that all seemed to work out. So that was a very positive uh, learning experience to go through because uh, never uh, in the past that I ever raised n- prices across the board and then on top of it put a you know an additional possible surcharge uh, added to it. So that was very very interesting. Another a thing that I did to help combat um, those rising fuel prices was I decided well hey this is a perfect opportunity then to um, give myself sort of a self-inflicted battery power challenge, uh, right? To say, hey, let me try and use, I've got all this Milwaukee stuff here. Um, Let me see what, you know, I can do with this instead of relying on, um, you know, uh, the two-stroke equipment, blower and trimmer and edger and all that sort of stuff, hedge trimmers and stuff like that. Not that I use the hedge trimmers anymore, gas ones. I was always using the electric battery-powered ones. But for the string trimmer and the blowers and stuff, I was always using uh, the gas stuff. So I thought, let me use this stuff as much as possible this year um, and, you know, go through it and really, you know, um, put it to the test. Is it feasible to use this stuff uh, in a lawn care business? Now, the caveat being that with the Milwaukee stuff I have, it's not rated for wet weather use. So, you know, anytime it rained, I'd have to go back to gas stuff and, and um, that essentially, and then uh, my train of thought was, uh, and when I started uh, doing that initial transition, I was still taking gas stuff with me back up because I wasn't, you know, exactly confident yet. I knew that it could do, uh, you know, trimming and stuff. I've done that and, you know, you take spare batteries and stuff like that with you. Um, but I always had the gas stuff just in case. Um what I learned was, you know, not only was it feasible to do that, I actually enjoyed it more. Um, you know, being able to force myself to use battery powered equipment, um, for that much time, I quickly found that I didn't take, um, the gas stuff any longer. In fact, uh, when I was taking like spare batteries and stuff, I started to learn my actual use of the stuff. And I started to not even take as many batteries with me uh, throughout uh, this season. I could quickly see how much battery I needed. And I'd always have like one spare battery just in case. Um, and in most cases, uh, you know, I wouldn't even use that extra, you know, spare battery, whatever it was for that, you know, whatever the case scenario uh, was. So that was an interesting um 
you know, experience that probably would not have happened fully like that, like full commitment every day using battery powered stuff. Uh, and in the end, um, you know, if I'm counting uh, till now, I used approximately um, one gallon and a half of mixed fuel for string trimming, edging, and uh, blowing uh, of grass clippings and stuff throughout the regular uh, part of the season, not including now um, where I've been using uh, backpack blowers and stuff uh, here at the tail end of the season. I actually used uh, that second half of fuel now, um, that second uh, half a gallon of fuel um, with the blower in the last uh, week or so. Uh, But interestingly enough, uh, through the first, you know, entire part of the lawn care part of season when it comes to just mowing trimming blowing that sort of stuff of grass clippings um i only needed a gallon and a half uh, total uh and that was only on the days where the weather wasn't good um so for the majority of the year i was able to use battery the only time i didn't use the battery like i said um was if it was actively raining um so if the grass was wet or it had rained the night before or there was a chance of showers later and it was like gloomy and gray and stuff like that, I would still take the battery stuff. It was just if rain was actually falling down that I wouldn't um, take the battery stuff with me. Uh, like I said, because it wasn't uh, rated for um, uh, wet weather uh, in that sense. So that was interesting uh, to go through that. And what I learned from that, like I said, that was not only was it a feasible thing to do, um, but, uh, that I enjoyed it more than using, um, the gas stuff. Uh, so that was very uh, surprising to me, um, that, uh, I would actually prefer, in fact, um, there was instances where, um, it was raining after say like a week or so of like really nice weather or something would happen. And, you know, it would be a, a day where I'd have to go to gas and I was like, oh, Really? Like I got to use the gas? Like it was so much nicer uh, once I got used to the equipment and that sort of uh, work flow of it um, that my biggest struggle was that I couldn't use the stuff in the rain. Um, so, you know, going forward, that has me thinking about, well, you know, if I enjoyed that so much uh, using the Milwaukee stuff, you know, what if I invest or, you know, something into a brand of battery powered equipment that is waterproof um, like that you know, Crest commercial stuff or whatever the case may be, um, that is rated to be used in, um, you know, all weather. Uh, Another one would be steel. I believe, uh, their battery stuff is rated for, uh, uh, wet, uh, weather as well. So, you know, there's all uh, sorts of possibilities uh, that opened up, uh, because of, um, you know, those high uh, gas prices that I might not have been so motivated, uh, to try, uh, previously. The other thing that um, kind of spurred on um, this year that I tried for the first time was adding a cancellation policy to uh, new clients. Um, I found a trend in the last few years. Um, not that it was just in the last few years. It's probably happened throughout my uh, business. Um, but something I just decided to address was that you know, in the spring when it's crazy busy and you get all these calls at people that uh, call you. And, you know, I was already focusing on clients that only wanted weekly lawn mowing service. I wasn't taking temporary mows um, or, you know, once every two weeks or every 10 days or thing. It was just week, regular weekly clients. And kind of what I found was uh, 
a little bit of a loophole that people were using that were like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. You can mow it every week. But what they weren't saying was that they only wanted me for the spring uh, when it was like really, you know, growing like crazy, constantly wet, all that sort of stuff, right? And then, you know, once uh, that season, that wet, high-growth spring season was passed, and we got into sort of the warmer summer and stuff like that, they would take over. So I found that a couple of years in a row, whether it was like one or two customers a year, like one or two new customers a year uh, would uh, hire me, uh, agree to everything. I would mow their lawns weekly through the spring and stuff. And then they would say, uh, you know, we no longer need your service. And I was like, what? Like that doesn't work, right? So I decided this year that, you know what? Um, And the problem, like I go back to, the problem is that in the spring, I'm only one person. I have no interest in employees and stuff, as you guys may know. Um, you know, I just like working uh, by myself uh, in that uh, aspect. But so that puts me in a predicament of there's only so many lawns I can mow myself during like the busiest times. So, you know, I have a maximum number of clients that I'll take. So if I'm saying yes to a customer in the spring that, uh, yeah, I'm committing to them, but they're not telling me that they are only going to be using me temporarily in the springtime and then by summertime they're going to cancel. Well, the issue is that then I get to summertime, if they cancel, then I lose that client and there's less calls coming in now at that point. Um, and potentially, you know, depending on when they call and stuff like that, there may not be clients for a couple of months that fill that spot uh, if I'm uh, trying to, you know, do that. So then you're losing out on a bunch of income because... I'm not going to overcommit knowing that during those busy times, there's only so much I can handle. So I decided, well, then a cancellation policy is what's going to fix that, uh, that, um, you know, customers are going to have to agree to that, that, uh, hey, if they are going to get into that situation, then I'm going to charge them, um, you know, a cancellation fee. Uh, So the only, and I'm not completely like super strict. My only thing is that, hey, if you are selling the house, uh, that a customer can cancel in the off season. So once the season is done in the winter time, they can cancel the next season. When I, you know, send them a reminder of service, I give them, you know, a month's notice basically before the first mow and say, Hey, if you want to cancel or change your service, just let me know. There's no cancellation policies there. There's no penalties. I should say they are free to cancel anytime in the off season. And then throughout the mowing season, if they sell their house, as long as I'm mowing their lawn right up to that sort of transfer date of the new owner, then there's no penalty. People move. I get it. There's no penalty there. But if they're just going to, you know, cancel willy-nilly, then yes, there's going to be a penalty for canceling. So I put that in, and that was another thing to uh, sort of think about uh, whether that was a good idea or not, something I had never done uh, in the 17 years uh, being in business. And quickly, the first few uh, quotes went out that included the cancellation policy. And what I found was no one questioned it. No one even said anything about it. So I was like, okay, there we go. There's not even any backlash or anything. And not only that, but I landed those jobs. So it wasn't like um, they didn't say anything, but I also didn't get those jobs, but I got those clients. So it was one of those things where it's like, okay, there we go. There's no... uh, no need to worry about uh, having a cancellation policy uh, in writing on the initial quote that they have to, uh, you know, um, agree to. So that was uh, very promising as well. So then the spring um, came with it a ton of rain. 
we had a lot uh, of wet days and not always days where you're working in the rain. Um, but it was lots of times it was just at night, uh, which, you know, if it's going to rain, I'd prefer that, um, that it rains at night when I'm not working. Uh, because then not only, um, is it dry for me to work during the day, um, but you know, I could use that battery powered stuff again, like I was saying, but the issue was, was that the grass was always wet. So it was always a struggle for the mowers, um, because wet grass is always obviously uh, tougher to mow, uh, than it is, uh, you know, if it's dry. Um, although there's certain situations uh, that I will say that I actually prefer um, a little bit of moisture on the ground. Um, and one of them is leaf cleanups. Um, I found, uh, especially using with like the Xmark Navigator and stuff like that, um, not that it doesn't, the Xmark Navigator doesn't work as good in dry weather that it does in wet. But what I found was if it's a little bit wet with that next Xmark Navigator, if the leaves have a little bit, you know, if it rained the night before or whatever, that um, the leaves are heavier, so they stay in the deck longer, uh, and thus get mulched up more. Uh, and you can actually fit more of the leaves into the hopper. You get a very tightly packed hopper with super fine, um, you know, leaves in there. It's like a brick when you go to open the door and, you know, you tilt the hopper. It's like this big cube of leaves that comes out. Um, versus if it's dry, the leaves, obviously it vacuums everything up, but, uh, because they're so light, it just vacuums them so, so quickly that they don't really get chopped up as much. So you get a lot of bigger pieces of a lot of bigger, um, full-size leaves and stuff almost um, that just whip through uh, this system where if it has a little bit of moisture, um, it actually seems to work out better. So that was interesting um, as well. Uh, but we did get a ton of rain. Uh, so that was uh, interesting to work through because of you know, it, it always rains, but it's, it wasn't as heavy of rain that uh, we were getting, um, you know, at those times. Uh, so that was an interesting thing to work through to have such a really uh, wet, wet spring, which also meant that it was always very gloomy in the spring. Um, it felt, I remember joking that it felt like fall just continued, that we didn't even get a spring, that it was just the traditional fall that just went right through, um, you know, the winter and then, um, into the spring. It was that same sort of fall uh, type weather, uh, just dark, gloomy, gray, and really, really wet, which made things like doing, um, you know, any power rakes if you wanted to do, which I don't think I did any this year because it was just always, the ground was always wet and stuff. And it just makes such a mess. And, um, you know, for me, it wasn't worth doing it. I saw other guys doing it. And a lot of times it was just like, they shouldn't be doing it. Like it's not the right time to do it. It's just a disaster. Um, and it was just one of those things like, uh, that, you know, I just decided that it wasn't worth doing uh, this year uh, because of, um, you know, not having the proper conditions. Uh, so, you know, it was just one of those things and uh, we got a, a bunch of heavy rain, but then what was crazy was that then that rain quickly turned into um, you know, summer. And then we got no rain at all. Um, which was odd because then it continued for four months, a four month long drought, um, going from July, August, September, and October. Um, 
just unheard of for here in the Pacific Northwest to be in September and October without rain uh, on a regular basis. Uh, and as it, you know, a lot of you guys who follow me might have seen, you know, Instagram photos and stuff like that, that, uh, you know, things got scorched, um, like so bad that I had to make adjustments. My normal, you know, uh, weekly mowing service that I do where I do have the exception in the summertime that I mow everybody bi-weekly that I understand that not everybody's lawn is perfect. So about half the lawns, um, I'm a weekly, they have irrigation and all that sort of stuff, but the other half don't. Um, so I'm okay with that as long as they're weekly throughout the spring and the fall and stuff like that. So here's that thing. Here's where it was different was that in the summer it was scorching hot and it was very difficult for me to justify to myself going to somebody's lawn that looked like hay, uh, and was crunchy and dry. And it was almost, um, I even had, you know, the thought of it being dangerous um, because of potential fire with using, you know, a gas powered uh, piece of equipment with a muffler and stuff like that, that, you know, potentially you could be setting this lawn on fire. It's so dry, right? So I had to pivot and adjust and say, you know what, I can't do that. I can't mow, even though the policy is this and they've agreed to it. And, you know, I even had customers that were um, completely fine with it. I had one customer tell me, when I was saying, you know, it doesn't need a cut, um, I'm going to go to every two weeks on his particular lawn. He was like, no, 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 cut it every week if you have to. You have to survive. I understand that. So as even if, you know, there's nothing to cut, feel free. You do what you need to do. And I was like, no, no, it's okay. I don't, you know, I'm not going to cut. So I had that spectrum of client there, but it was like, I don't feel good doing that. Like, you know, the neighbors are going to look at you, seeing you sitting there um, doing basically nothing with the lawn. Not only are you... Um, not really cutting anything, but you know, you're adding all this extra pollution to the air. You're burning all this gas that doesn't need to be burned doing, um, you know, the mowing and stuff like that. So I had to pivot. I had to adjust. There was no, uh, choice, at least for me, um, to not, uh, do that. Right. So, you know, what came from that? Um, well, you know, I started to have the thought about, well, you know, I've got these other clients, about half of them, that I'm mowing still weekly. Um, and, you know, they've got irrigation systems. So even though we have a drought and it hasn't rained and stuff, they're still allowed to water their lawn once a week. And they were doing that. They had their sprinkler system set. And, you know, they're also clients that have me fertilizing and all that sort of stuff. And it was still green. Um, I had a couple customers that, you know, it wasn't growing as vigorously um, because of the heat and stuff like that, but it was still green. And every week, a fresh cut still made all the difference. It still looked really, really nice. And, you know, they're um, very surprised at how well, especially this particular client who's pretty picky. Um, and this was the first season with me and kind of laid out what I was going to do and stuff. And they were um, a bit skeptical because they had been burned by other landscape companies in the past, over-promising things like that. And, you know, I just laid it out on the line. And in fact, I think what kind of won them over was there was things that they wanted to do that I refused to do, like that power raking and stuff like that in the spring, because it was like, it's just too wet uh, to do it. You're not going to get the result you want. It's going to make a huge mess. Um, you know, and I think they took that um, to heart that I was, you know, meaning um, to do the best by them uh, and their lawn, right? It wasn't there to take advantage and just do it because, hey, why not? that um 
you know, it was just something that, um, you know, giving a proper explanation. I And I always gave them the choice um, that, hey, if you really want it done, I will do it. So I wasn't like the glass shop. <laughs> I wasn't like the windshield guys, um, you know, even though the customer is kind of giving you permission and uh, just outright refusing to do it. I was always like, I will do it if you want me to do it. Um, but here's the reason why I don't think we should do it now, that we should maybe postpone it uh, to a different time. So uh, that was, um, uh, you know, something that was uh, had me thinking about, um, you know, what uh, I could change uh, in the future in case we get through, you know, sort of climate change uh, more often like this. So for that, uh, I decided to, for next year, make a change of, for all new clients coming on, that they will be full service clients only. So taking it up a notch, uh, going you know more in that direction of more restrictive uh, of the type of client or rec- or uh, criteria of the client client that I'm willing to take on. Because like I said, I looked at those you know half of those clients that I currently have, and. I was mowing throughout that drought uh, with those clients because of the watering and the fertilizer and all that sort of stuff. It was that other half uh, that, um, you know, uh, made it more difficult. So going forward, focusing on clients that are only uh, full service clients that have irrigation and all that sort of stuff uh, will, I think, uh, take it up uh, to that next notch. And like I said, for me, it's not an issue uh, because I'm uh, you know, a solo owner operator. Uh, and that's how I prefer it. If I had employees, that would be more difficult uh, to be able to implement because I would need more work uh, to be able to, you know, keep those employees employed. But for myself, I prefer to just niche down uh, on what I enjoy doing and the clients I enjoy working for and just go, um, you know, further into that um, and progressively you know, just uh, weed out those clients that aren't uh, full service over time. I'm not sure how I'll handle the ones I have currently um, that aren't like that. Um, That's something for me to, you know, uh, think about uh, in this winter off season. Uh, But certainly going forward, uh, just taking on clients that have irrigation and want that full service fertilizers, aerations, all that sort of stuff, and just heading more towards, you know, going in that direction uh, to sort of future proof, um, you know, any droughts and things like that uh, that may happen. Um, Because, you know, those are the clients that tend to just continue wanting that service done. Uh, the next interesting thing that happened here was just a, a week ago or so, um, that I'll have to address for next year, uh, if things continue the way they are, is that typically when I, you know, get into my fall aerations and I do my fertilizers and all that sort of stuff, I go to my local seed supplier fertilizer store. It's all they sell is grass, different grass seed varieties and fertilizers and lime and all those like, you know, um, things that you would do to a lawn. Uh, they don't sell anything else. They're not selling fertilizer spreaders or tools. They're not selling, you know, anything else. It's just a wholesale seed supplier. And I typically will go and they have a minimum charge. They only sell wholesale. So they only sell to contractors. Uh, and, but they have a minimum charge, right? You have to buy a certain amount. Uh, so what I found was for the first time, 
Typically what I do every spring is I contact them, they send me like a price list, and then, you know, I look that over and, you know, things go up a little bit and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, the last few years has been no different things, especially in the last two or three years have steadily gone up with supply and demand issues and, and all that sort of stuff, supply chain issues. And this year was no different in the spring, things went up. So I adjusted my prices accordingly, but for the first time ever, um, things went up again uh, at some point during the season, uh, which is no surprise looking back at it because of, you know, the cost of fuel and everything has just, you know, continued to go uh, out of hand, but that's never happened in the past. Usually the price, you know, um, that they'll send me in the spring, that is the price for the season. Like that's this year's price list. Uh, so this was the first time where, you know, I had quoted customers in the spring for fertilizing and all that stuff. And I went, uh, you know, in the spring and I just bought what I needed because typically that's what I do being a solo operator. And, you know, I don't want to buy a year's worth of fertilizers and have to sit on it uh, and store it in my garage and all that sort of stuff. So I just buy, you know, what I typically need. And they're pretty good about, you know, if I'm short a bag or two and I have to go back, that they'll let me buy the bag or two uh, without having to buy like the minimum quantity and all that sort of stuff. Cause I've been, you know, a regular there for so many years. So this was the first time where I arrived then on the fall uh, last week to pick up what I needed for the fall aerations and fertilizers and all that. And the prices had gone up again um, by quite a bit this time. Usually, you know, my two or three bucks a bag uh, each year and stuff. So this year between spring and fall... Um, I think in the spring it was like $38 a bag for the fertilizer that I use. And then in the fall it was 46. Um, so quite the jump, right? And then when you've already quoted customers in the spring based on, you know, the previous 16 years of the price being the price for the year, that was a bit different. On top of that, they were, uh, enforcing the minimum, uh, policy. So I had to buy and they had raised it. Um, so I had to buy much more than I actually needed, uh, for my fall aerations at this higher price to be able to get any of it at all. So, and like I said, understandable, everybody's going through the same thing, uh, with inflation and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but just something that, Hey, was unexpected, uh, that I will have to address for next year. So whether that means that from now on, um, you know, if that's going to continue, um, Maybe I have to buy, you know, all of it all at once in the spring and just secure, um, you know, a whole load of fertilizer and stuff, what I'm anticipating to use. And, you know, the problem with that is that you've got to anticipate what you're using, but then you're always going to, you know, buy extra and stuff like that. So then, you know, it just, it takes up a lot of space to be sitting uh, for the whole year, um, you know, not using some, you know, a lot of that stuff. So it's just, you know, it's just money just sitting there. Um, so it's one of those things, uh, but you know, it is what it is, right? If, uh, you know, next year happens again and you see, you know, things, you know, cause they're predicting inflation and, um, the economic downturn, all that stuff being, you know, at least uh, throughout 2023 and stuff. So, you know, it's one of those things doing next year, you know, something to think about. Do I buy all of it at once in the spring, secure whatever the price is at that time, uh, and buy, you know, all of it that I need. I don't want to do it now because, um, yeah, you know, there's a chance it goes up again. But then again, you know, here we are going into winter and four months of not putting anything down. You know, I don't want to sit on, 
that especially going through the wet and uh, humid and humidity and stuff of the the winter time and all that stuff and having so much extra stuff like that and and potential for uh, mice and rodents coming in and you know uh, chewing through bags and making a mess and all that sort of stuff. So it's like I don't want to sit on a bunch of that stuff, um, you know through the winter um, time. But, you know, in the spring, something to think about is buying it all in advance and then uh, for the year and uh, going through my notes. Luckily, I take notes uh, when I'm putting fertilizers and stuff down, how much I'm using for that round for those customers and stuff. So I can kind of go back and kind of predict, okay, well, I use this many bags for this, this many bags of this throughout the whole year and add it all up and kind of, you know, get an estimate for the next year. So um, it's one of those things uh, that, uh, you know, that might be the change for next year so that I can sort of secure those prices because for me, I very well can't go back now. Like at least in my thinking, I can't go back to those customers now and go, oh, oh by the way, um, I know you agreed to this price back in the spring, but you know, I had to raise the price because you know, I had to buy, I don't work like that. If I gave them a price, that's the price I'm going to stick with. And that's why I like adding those surcharges and stuff like that, because then, you know, it, it does give you that flexibility. Um, and they do have that sort of heads up about it. Uh, but like I said, I've never had a instance uh, in the past 17 years where the fertilizer price has changed um, that dramatically throughout the year. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things that it just hasn't happened. So you learn from that uh, and try to make, uh, you know, an adjustment there as well. Uh, and then, uh, you know, when it's all said and done, after you go through, you know, all those events of, uh, that have happened uh, to you from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, you kind of look back at how you, you know, how you handled those different situations from, you know, sort of mental health issues, if you had any of those, to, you know, challenges in the business, to uh, customer challenges, to jobs and stuff. You know, what could you have done? You know, how did you handle them? Did your response work out? Uh, could you have done it better? Um, and, you know, is there a way forward uh, for next year that would be uh, better? Maybe, you know, you want to not offer a particular job, or maybe you do want to offer a particular job, but you want to do it uh, more efficiently if you had a specific you know, piece of equipment. Um, maybe like for me, the fertilizer, kind of thinking about, you know, next year, do we um, purchase all the fertilizer at once? Now, um, you know, taking it a step further, you could then say, okay, well, if I'm going to buy it all at once, uh, as I hinted to there, is it better for that particular purchase? Does it make sense to buy that now um, in the fall going into winter, even though I know I'm not, I'm not going to use it? And this could apply to maybe an equipment purchase or something um, that you're, you know, thinking of adding for next year. Does it make sense to do that now? Um because of being able to take advantage of maybe a year end and, you know, taxes and stuff, depending on when you have to do your taxes and when your business year end is and stuff like that. Right. Uh, so is it something like that? That's worthwhile doing that now before, even though you might not use that piece of equipment or, you know, use that fertilizer. Can you do that? Will it help, uh, in that sort of tax situation to be able to write that off in this year's taxes versus, you know, waiting for and having to write it off on the next year's taxes or whatever, uh, the case may be. So lots of different, um, things to think about and weigh, uh, but it's really good to go through the whole year from beginning to end. Think about all those different really those big transitions and key points that happened to you throughout the season, whether personally and business, how did they affect you? Um, did, you know, things in your personal life affect you in the business? Um, how could you fix that? How could you learn from that and move forward? 
um, and those different challenges throughout the business? How could you have handled those? Did your response work or was it not a failure? How did, you know, that sort of stuff. And that's how you learn. That's how you go forward. That's how, you know, throughout my years, how I've implemented all those different um, policies and things in my business, adding things like leaf cleanups and dog waste surcharges and all that sort of stuff was just from learning uh, from one year to the next uh, and uh, trying to not repeat uh, those same mistakes uh, and always moving forward. But, you know, if there's any hope I can give you guys uh, that uh, are just starting out and thinking that uh, it's super daunting and all that, well, think here I am 17 seasons in and still learning, still making mistakes, still uh, figuring things out, still having to, uh, you know, face uh, adversity and figure out uh, some things and uh, make changes um, to basically, um, you know, compensate for uh, some of those uh, adversities and some of those changes and things that maybe weren't uh, expected. So, uh, you know, if that gives you any hope, hopefully that does, uh, that, uh, you know, you're not alone, even when you're beginning and it seems daunting and you seem like, you know, there's, you're making lots of mistakes and you don't know what you're doing and stuff that, you know, throughout the year, throughout the years, even in your business, you're always going to be facing um, challenges. And that's, uh, you know, a key part of being a human being is learning uh, from those challenges and uh, learning each and every day and being grateful uh, for, uh, you know, all of uh, those adversities as well. Uh, Because in the end, uh, you know, if you give, uh, you know, that uh, time to think about it, and, uh, you know, you can always pull some good from all of those uh, uh, different situations and figure out uh, ways to uh, progress uh, forward even stronger. So that's it for this one, guys. Uh, just a quick reminder uh, before I get uh, uh, into uh, the closing uh, music there uh, that uh, the Winter Interview Series is going to be coming up. If you guys are interested in uh, coming on to the podcast and sharing your story, make sure you send me uh, a message. You can do so on uh, Instagram DMs if you follow me there, or just head on over to lawncarebusinesssuccess.com forward slash contact. You can send me an email or uh, write uh, in the podcast show notes there. There'll be a link to uh, leave me a voicemail message, and that's an option as well, uh, and uh, do it that way. So uh, that's it for this one, guys. Here's to wishing you guys all overwhelming success and freedom in your lawn care business. Bye for now.